one of the big questions that uh, people have been circulating around me over these last three years or so since being in, back in Longview, Texas, has been the question of what is old? No one here has been able to define for me at what age we get old. For instance, when we have senior adult, legacy, jubilee, uh, senior adult, VBS, legacy banquet that whole week that we set aside just to celebrate the seniors in our church, every year this question comes up, well, at what age do we begin inviting people to be a senior adult? And again, I've shared with you, it's an interesting phenomenon. Many people uh, want the, at age 55, the discount at McDonald's for the coffee, but they don't want it yet be considered senior adult unless it's a, there's a discount involved. But this week, I had these strange set of circumstances that unfolded in my life that took me on a roller coaster. Part of this past week, I believe with all my heart, I was old. By the end of this week, I am convinced I am not. Let me just bring you on that journey with me. On Thursday, a family in our church needed some help moving. And so somehow, I got involved in helping them move. Don't ever do that if you can get out of it, all right? And uh, in doing so, I pulled up in my old truck. I'm assuming they're going to need some space to help move. So I pull up in my old truck and... The door of my old Ford truck is open, and a young lady from this household that's in our student ministry points to the door of my truck. Here's a picture of it. And she points to that little handle up there, and she says, Pastor, what's that handle? <laughs> now, most of us recognize that in cars for generations, there was open the door handle, and there was the well, in East Texas, we don't call it window. We call it winder, the winder handle. And so for the next four hours moving, I knew in my heart of hearts, dude, I am old. I mean, I am now living in a generation of students that have never seen a manual window handle. Man, I grew up in the time, hey... Nobody had any kind of power windows. And now we're ushering in a generation that have never, can't even tell you what a window handle is in a car. That's tragic. Can I hear an amen? But then on Saturday, our oldest living member turned 104. Here she is, Miss Theta Wistis. And I took her some cupcakes, and we loved on her. And when I left, I looked at the young man with me in the car, and I said, praise the Lord for Miss Theta Wistis. And by the way, Bart McCoy has been her deacon for years. Before I even got there, he already had roses for me. He loves on her. One of our great deacons. I'm just so thankful for Mr. Bart. But as I left, I looked at that guy across the car and I said, thank the Lord for Miss Theta, but thank the Lord, I am out of the dumps. I am not old. I'm not even close to 104. Is that not incredible? 104 years of age? That's amazing, isn't it? 
And so, man, she just encouraged me. So I just want you to know I've been on a roller coaster ride, kind of like the life of Job. Would you open your Bibles with me to Job chapter number? Oh, we'll camp out around chapter 38 this morning to get started. We just have a little shorter time span, so I'm going to need you to listen very quickly with me today. Here's the progression. For months now, we've got this week and one more, and we're going to finish up the book of Job. Thank you for all of the positive comments. Thank you for all the encouragement. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for all of these elements that go into any sermon series that you invest in. It's, I think when we look back, going to be a great series. Not because anything that I did, but because God's Word is just so faithful. God's Word is so true in our lives. We know Job has had a tough time. And uh, Job has gone through a lot of stuff. And we know most of the book of Job, after you get outside that first and second chapter, is the dialogue between three friends that Job has. Friends we use in quotation marks. With friends like those, who needs enemies? We got it. But they had all kinds of thoughts on what was happening to Job. His children dying, he lost everything in terms of material wealth. His health had dissolved, had Maybe something as a cousin to leprosy or something where his skin had boils and uh, there was fluid oozing out of those things. And I mean, he, he was just, life was tough. His, his wife wanted him to renounce the God and de- denounce the God that he, he loved so much and the friends didn't help him. And then last week, we entered on, in, into a whole new character that came into the scene by the name of Elihu. And where did that cat come from? Who knows? Maybe the Lord sent him. But in the midst of this, this younger man comes in. He had some things to say. But we know from a couple of weeks ago, at the end of the dialogue between Job and his three friends, he has shut down his communication. And it's pretty fascinating to me until Job hushes up. God does not speak. And as we look today, beginning in the 38th chapter, at this point in this incredible book, we're going to see an amazing moment. The Lord is going to speak to Job out of a violent storm. Some of you have a whirl, it's, it's referred to as a whirlwind. Hey, John, will you help me up there in the sound? I'm getting some kind of feedback. I don't know if it's monitor, but it's going to drive me crazy if you, if you don't help me with it. Thank you. Uh, And again, God's not going to meet Job in a courtroom, but he's going to meet Job in the middle of a storm. And most of us, we want to pick and choose where God communicates with us and in what manner God communicates with us. But I want us to understand we cannot dictate that to God. And so in your Bibles, let's begin reading today in the 38th chapter. I'm going to just read the first three verses to kind of get us going. And here's what the Word of God says. Today, I just want to share with you about this moment that God begins to speak. Let's stay tuned now for a word from God. Finally, in the book of Job, we're going to hear from God himself. And can I just say, you may not know it. Well, you may not recognize it. But we are about to hear words from the largest single pericope of scripture the longest communication 
that God gives in one setting to human, in, in terms of humanity that is in the entire Bible. Nowhere else in your entire Bible does God speak this much, this long, with this much depth than here in the book of Job. And can I just throw out an extra nugget for you? We, we somewhat believe that Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. Now, man, I, that's a lunchtime discussion. A lot goes into that. But certainly one of the earliest books of the Bible. All Job had, no doubt, was what God is going to speak into his heart. He wasn't probably able to go back to any kind of early law. He wasn't probably able to go back in terms of any type of scriptural text. This is all that he's going to have to go on to answer his question, to answer the question, why? What's happening to me? But more importantly, he's able to now to recognize that, but he wants to know why is it happening. And the Bible says in chapter 38, then the Lord spoke. And that is a huge phrase. Then the Lord spoke. He spoke to Job out of the storm, and here's what he said. Who is this? that it obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Look in verse 3. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Wow. And God is going to use what in our New Testament, the first chapter of the book of Romans says, is one of the creative ways that God communicates with us. Through his very creation. That God can show us his majesty and who he is through the very creation of all that he's made. 77 questions are going to unfold through these next three or four chapters. The good news for you today is we're not going to work on all 77 questions that God's going to ask Job. Can I hear an amen? But what we are going to do and what I've done for you is if you take those 77 questions, they fall in three broad categories. And I just want to give you a flavor of those. As God begins to speak, he's going to be asking, in essence, three broad questions. Number one, and jot this down on your outline. You don't have structure today, but we're just going to jot down a couple of questions. You can do that in the little notes section. First of all, God is going to speak specifically to Job and ask the question, who created the universe? To get Job's attention, he's going to ask the question, at least in content, out of the first part of those 77 questions, who created the universe? In fact, look at this construction motif that he begins to unpack. Look down in chapter 38 in verse 4. And again, we won't look at all the verses. I just want to give you a good flavor where were you, chapter 38, verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Verse 6, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? And while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy... Wow. God just begins with the big whole picture. Job, you're shouting out these puny questions to me. 
strutting around like a prince. Now I'm going to speak. Brace yourself like a man, he says in chapter 38. I've got some simple questions for you. Job, when you look around, how do you think this whole planet, this whole cosmos was put together? There was nothing to build it on. There was no foundation for it. The expanse of it, the measurements of it. In fact, isn't it interesting when he got down there to verse number seven, it's, it's fascinating because he says, and the, the stars, they sang together, and the very angels, they shouted. He's, he's bringing in this heavenly, the spiritual, with the physical, and he's tying all of that together. And then, and, 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 and then in, in verse eight, he turns to the oceans. Just look at the overview of this. Who shut up the sea behind doors? A little over a third of the whole surface of the earth when it bursts forth from the womb. He's using this analogy of the birth. He said, who birthed the seas? Who gave them structure? Who, who, who even came up with the concept of that, Job? And he's driving home this picture. Look down at verse 12. What about very, the very concept of light and morning light? He says, you know, when you get up, this, this concept of day and night that you have, who put that in place? Verse 12, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? I mean, who did that, Job? Who was able to put all that together? And then he goes back to the ocean. Look down in verse 16. And he says, have you journeyed to the very springs of the sea? We know now about seven miles deep in the deepest part of the deepest ocean on planet Earth, they now have discovered there's actual natural springs that are flowing up upward into that very ocean. Fascinating. He says, I mean... Job, there's no way you can even understand the depth of seven miles deep and water that's being excreted. Who planned all that? Who put all of those details together? Who brought it all and yoked it? Then he said in verse 19, he's back to that light theme. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? He said, Job, can you even explain Light and darkness, darkness and light? Who came up with that concept? Who put that in place? And he's driving home these series of questions. Look at what he says in verse 22. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or the storehouses of the hail? He's saying even when, uh, when precipitation takes a different form, who put that together? Who came up with a concept of hailstones or snow? And then, wow, he gets to the stars. Man, I wish we had more time to talk about that in verse 31. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades, the concept of Orion? You, I mean, do you see it? Can you loosen those? We, we know that in, in some of those constellations, some of those are bound up. They're stars that are tightly fit together. And there's others that look like they're just scattered. They're loosed. And God says... When you look up at the stars, who grouped those together over here and bound them together? But yet over here in this part of the sky, they've just been, it almost looks like an array, a scattering. Who did that, Job? And you see, God is asking in a category a very important question. And we know the answer, don't we? The answer is very simple. Job, go ahead and tell us. 
It wasn't you that came up with this, was it? Absolutely not. God says, yes, I did it. And Job, you did not do it. Category one, who created the universe? Quickly, look down in verse 39. Who controls the universe? That's the second question that God, the category that, God, that God's going to address to Job. Who controls the universe? In that 38th chapter, scroll down, uh, if you will, with me, all the way down to verse number, uh, let's, let's look in verse number 39. Do you hunt for prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? Look down in verse 41. And who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for the lack of food? I just wrote in my margin there, Luke 12, 24. Luke 12, 24, Jesus answers that for us in our New Testament, doesn't he? Jesus talks about who feeds the ravens. And Jesus said, it is the very father that feeds the ravens. He answered that for us in Luke 12, 24. But he begins to, to turn to the animal kingdom now. And he says, you know, not only who created all this, but this order, for instance, and he's going to take Job to the zoo. And he's going to say, who controls this? Who put the order to the, the, the very animals themselves? Can you feed the lion? Can you control food sources for the ravens? Look over in chapter 39. He gets into all kinds of animals. Look in verse 1 and 2, the goats. Do you, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Gestation for these goats happens in many different ways at different times. They're not absolute. They're not fixed. He says, Job, can you even speak up and talk about just birthing of wild goats? How much do you know about that, Job? Wow. Go down in verse number five and talks about the wild donkeys. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? In other words, who put those wild donkeys out there, Job? Becky and I like to watch Caribbean life. Any of y'all watch Caribbean life? One of us, thank you. And one of the things that I want a couple of these islands, they have these pigs that people swim with pigs. And those pigs, apparently on these shows that we watch, get a little aggressive with people, trying to rush up there to people and get this food out of their hands. But everybody says those are wild pigs. One day we were watching the show, and I just asked Becky, I wonder how those pigs got out there. Becky just looked at me and said, somebody took them out there. She always brings me back to central ground quickly. But you know, these wild donkeys, Job, I mean, did you, were, were you responsible for those? Look in verse 6, I gave it the wasteland as its home. It's just, it's just, it just lives out there in salt flats, just out there on the, the barrenness, these wild donkeys. Job, how do you think anybody was able to do that? And who did that? One of my favorite is how... God speaks to Job about the ostrich. It is my favorite. Look in verse 13. And the wings of the ostrich, they flap joyfully. Now we know the ostrich can't fly. He's got wings. She's got wings. But they cannot fly. By the way, a little research a couple weeks ago, ostriches can get up between three and 400 pounds. Big birds. But 
God, God, God begins to speak about that. Look at this. And the wings and the feathers of the stork, verse 13. Look in for, verse 14. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand. It's like an ostrich is so dumb that the mom ostrich lays the egg. The, the male also sets on the eggs at times. Both of them do. And they just sit there in the sand and just leave their eggs exposed. Now, how smart can that be? And it's like God saying, I mean, who's going to put all of these crazy little idiosyncrasies together? Look in verse 15. Unmindful that a foot may crush them. It's like people will step on the egg. Somebody should be smarter than that, God said. The, the old ostrich. But listen, it gets great here. He says that some wild animal may trample on them. Look in verse 16. She treats her young harshly as, as if, if they were not even hers. It's like, you know, if they get over there and they sit and they warm the eggs, it's okay. And if they don't, well, you know, they're, only the strong survive kind of motif. He said, that's the ostrich thing flapping its wings. It can go nowhere. Just plops its young out there and just hopes that they survive. Sets on them when they can. She and he. But, you know, it, it's an amazing story, isn't it? Verse 17, for God did not endow her with wisdom. God says, you know, not the smartest of animals, the ostrich. Did, did, didn't endow her with wisdom or give her a, a share of good sense. Look in verse 18. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, She laughs at the horse and the rider. An ostrich can get up to 40 miles per hour. Leave a horse in the dust. And it's these kind of moments that we're hearing from our God. Speaking in the heart of a man that's been prancing around saying, hey, hey, hey. I got some questions to ask you. And now God speaks. And God says, big boy, saddle up. As I speak, I've got some questions for you. Who created this universe? Who controls this universe? We don't have time to look at it, but you go on down through chapter 39, you see the war horse. We could look at that. We see the, the hawk, the eagle, and their amazing sight. But I want you to see at this point, go to chapter number 40. And let's just read a couple of verses to get us going in chapter 40. Because we have this interlude before the last question. An interlude that God is going to say, hey, are you listening? That's how I feel up here a lot on Sunday mornings. I'm looking out there. I wish you could see what I see on Sunday mornings. I see some strange things at times from up here. And it's as if God says, now Job, I've said a lot in these, what we know is the first couple of chapters here of me speaking. Are you listening? Look at what he says in chapter 40. Fascinating. He just says, the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? You, you got anything you want to interject at this point, Job? You have any point of correction for your holy God? Anything you want to say, big boy? I'm listening. And he, let, and he says, let him who accuses God answer him. Verse 3, and then Job answered the Lord. 
I wonder if he had to clear his throat. <laughs> Verse 4. Boy, old Job's demeanor has changed. You remember a few chapters back? He, he had those knees up prancing, didn't he? I'm going to go before God like a prince. And now the Bible says, Job's first words, I am so unworthy. Boy, a sense of humility can change everything. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you, Job says. I put my hand over my mouth. It says, shh, shh. I'm so unworthy. And then in verse 5, I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say, no more. Isn't it amazing how God can get our attention? And now he has Job's full attention. Would you jot down this third category? I just want to show you a touch of it. Who comprehends the universe? The last category of these 77 questions is going to center around this picture. Who comprehends the universe? Just for the sake of time, go down to verse number 6. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Some of you have this picture of the whirlwind. It's a violent storm. Would you discredit my justice, he said in verse number 8. Jump down to verse 8. Would you, dis, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Look in verse 9. Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Look down in verse 11. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. And then in verse 12, look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. I know our time is so limited here. But can I just mention, God does something really extraordinary. To finish up this chapter, he takes Job to two strange creatures. Not so much strange in the sense of strange as we know it, but really an unusual place to take him. Look down in verse 15. Most of us have the translation today, the translation of behemoth. He's going to take him to two specific animals. Now, there are some that would say this is some kind of prehistoric animal. There are others that would try to equate this to a dinosaur I think maybe the, the most accurate place we could probably land is an animal like we, would, we might know as a hippopotamus or a water buffalo or, or e even maybe a close uh, cousin of what we'd know as elephant. But when you look, and we, we, we won't do all of that today, but if you look down in verse number 23, the, this first animal that he mentions, it talks about the river, and it may be raging, and that's why I personally think it's probably something in that hippopotamus family, all this water swifting around, and here's this big old behemoth. By the way, in the Hebrew language, we have to do something called transliteration at times. Well, we have to do that with a number of different languages, the Greek language as well. You understand, when we transfer words from one language to another, sometimes we can't line them up exactly. 
For instance, if we use the word, if we have a color blue in the English language and we're trying to get it over here into Spanish and there's no word for blue as we know it in Spanish, then we have to do something called we, we, we transliterate. We, we, we have to adjust and come up with the closest possible option. Behemoth in the history, uh, in, 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 in the Hebrew language, means super beast. Super beast. We really don't have super beast in the English language. That's as close as we can get. So we have to take all of this data, the characteristics of this behemoth, and we come up with probably maybe the closest thing, water buffalo or an elephant or a hippopotamus or something in that family. But he takes him there. Anyway, in verse 24, he, he says this about the animal. Can anyone capture it by, its eye, by the eyes or trap it or, and, and pierce its nose? Can you imagine... Thousands of years from back in time, what would you do with a beast like that? I mean, today we just pop it with some tranquilizers. But think about trying to take care of an animal like that, subdue it in this day and time that Job is living. It'd be almost impossible. And God brings us to the behemoth. And quickly, in verse 41, he takes us to the other one. There he refers to a leviathan. Do you see it? The leviathan. We think that's probably a crocodile, much more vicious, as we know, than an alligator. By the way, to transliterate that word, leviathan, it means to twist or to writhe, to, 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 writhe, to spin, to twist. It's interesting, in chapter 41, in verse 5, he says... Are, are, are you going to take a crocodile and make him a pet like you would a bird? What can you do with that, Job? Absolutely nothing. Look down in verse, verse number 8 in chapter 41. If, if you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and you'll never do it again. It's amazing, isn't it? How God lays out those incredible moments. Can I just share this with you? When God led me to this book, he led me there with one central theme. The mystery of misery. You and I have some, some challenges. All of us do. You and I encounter these kind of moments in our lives often, don't we? Why did that happen? Or what's going on here? Why so many things? And why, and why this time? And why this way? And what's unfolding in my life? And is this Satan doing this? Is this God allowing this? Is, is God behind this? And we get into the test and the trial. And we get into the temptation concept and the testing. And we're, we're, we're going back and forth. But you know, at the cornerstone of what God's trying to do here is simply communicate with a man that's been hurting. Not just any man, a great man, a what? A righteous man, a blameless man, not, not a, a sinless man, but a man that's walked upright with the Lord. Not, not, not just anyone, but one of the Lord's finest. And it's amazing that our Lord is trying to get Job to, want, to learn one simple lesson. Job. You do not have the whole picture. Job, you do not have the complete sightline of all the universe, of all people, of all things. 
So when in your little small world, in your little moments of episode in your life, in that challenge, when you cry out and begin to put yourself in a position where you're questioning the very almighty God that sees all things, that has the, the, the screen of the whole universe before him and in him. Job, how foolish. Job, understand this. That I am God. How arrogant for any of us to think anything otherwise, but our God has full control of all things. And when we begin to try to analyze his omnipotence, it would be like an amoeba trying to attempt to comprehend the, 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 the very behavior of a man. Never forget this. When you and I are not able to see the whole picture, Devastating things can happen. I mentioned to you a moment ago that on Thursday, I had the privilege, the opportunity to help one of our church families move. Now, there's more to that story. Their house closing fell through, and now they're living with me. Amen? I'm not joking. We're hoping the house close will take place this week sometime. But if it does not, I'm going to move them in the fellowship hall and I'm going to call you up here to feed them every night down there, okay? Covered dish and all those kind of things. But as I drove that old pickup over there to pull up, there were so many cars and trailers, I couldn't find anywhere to park. So I just pulled on down past their house, pulled up in one of the neighbor's driveways to turn around to go back in front of their house a little space that I saw to park. In a few moments, this family received a text message on their phone from one of their neighbors that said, does anybody recognize this truck? I want you to see what the neighbor sent to the family. We were helping to move. There I am. This is their security cam. By the way, that's me in that truck. Backing out, pulling away. Now, you know, that if we just stop that right there, if you can, Scott, why would you think that lady, two doors down on the opposite side of the street, sent a message to the whole neighborhood association and said, I've got some footage of a suspicious character. No, I'm telling you the truth. I think this guy is about to rob my house. And then she used this word, rubbernecking. She said, look at him in that truck. He's rubbernecking. I, yeah, I was rubbernecking because this gentleman in our church was yelling at me from his house saying, Pastor, turn around and pull back up here. He was running down to the street. You couldn't see all of that. All, all that lady could see when she was at work, she wasn't even at her house. All that woman could see was that little, that, that, doesn't, even, that doesn't even give us a, a, a morsel of everything going on on the street. No trailers, no people, no owner across the street, no, no one hearing the word, pastor, pastor, pastor. 
But all she was able to see was just in front of her house. Are you starting to get the dangerous picture? All we're able to see is our x-ray. All we're able to see is our blood count. All we're, all we're able to really understand is what we're facing. And as Job pranced before God, I bet God just shook his head and thought, man, oh man. Just as I did when someone judged me on such a small frame of reference. Well, I guess if you drive an old pickup truck and you're bald-headed, you must be a robber. Wow. How small-minded. How small-minded. Do you ever bring problems like that before the Lord? Not that He doesn't care about you sharing those concerns with Him, but you and I recognize scripturally and historically Job crossed the line Job went beyond just saying God I'm hurting God I, I know you already know but I, I just want to reaffirm the challenges I had Job his heart began to fill with pride and it went so far as to step into the very authority region of his holy God and God brought him back to the very core issue that you and I have all got to understand when it comes to the mystery of misery. We should never forget. We do not have the full, big picture. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for these few moments as we do recognize that you created this entire universe. We fully understand that you control it, that you are the, the very one that we worship today. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, the Lord Jesus. Only a God as great as you could recognize the sin that we invited into our lives as humanity and your ultimate plan of salvation for us through the death, the terrible death of our Lord and Savior to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all of humanity. Father, today in the big picture of things, we have got to be most thankful about that above all other things. But Father, we do today, many of us bring challenges in our life before you. Challenges they are. And Lord, we just love you and we worship you. And Lord, today, maybe it's not so much an explanation that we so desperately need. But maybe it is a revelation that we really, really need. We live by promises and not by explanations. Thank you for being our God. We love you and we worship you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.